Our scripture passage this morning is going to come from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, that can be found on page uh, 1,802 in most of the Pew Bibles. 2 Corinthians 9. Uh, We looked at 2 Corinthians 8 together last week. Um, These two chapters are very much together. Um, The chapter divisions, again, are are man-made, and that is... Uh, maybe something that is certainly seen here. Paul is, is, is treating the topic of, of Christian giving. Uh, in the late 40s and 50s AD, uh, a famine swept through uh, Palestine, and the believers in Jerusalem fell on hard times. And so one thing that uh, Paul did on his missionary journeys was set up these churches, these Gentile churches, uh, and he would often ask them to give to the needs of the believers in Jerusalem, and then he would make arrangements to have that monetary gift sent back to Jerusalem to meet the needs of the believers there. And he asked the Corinthians to, to do the same thing. We read about that in 1 Corinthians 16. He said, set aside a gift on the first day of the week, and we'll come and we'll take it back to the believers in Jerusalem. Uh, for various reasons, uh, the Corinthians kind of uh, they made a commitment, but it kind of fell off, and the gift got neglected. And here in 2 Corinthians now, Paul is, is returning to this topic of this gift for the needy believers in, in Jerusalem. And so 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are about this gift that Paul has asked for and that the Corinthians have, in fact, promised to give. And Paul here is, is saying, okay, finish what you started, complete the work, I'm coming, I want you to have the gift ready so I can take it back and meet the needs of the believers in Jerusalem. So uh, this is 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We looked at the first half of chapter 8 last week. We're going to look at the entirety of chapter 9 uh, together this morning, hence the name On Christian Giving, part 2. Last week was part 1. This is part 2. 2 Corinthians 9, hear then the holy, inspired, and unfailing word of our God this morning. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints. For I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had prepared. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad His gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way, so that you can be generous on every occasion. 
And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for the indescribable gift that Paul speaks of here, the gift of your one and only Son for the salvation of sinners like us. Father, you call us to new life in Christ through your word. You show us how to walk in that new life through your word. And as we study your word, we pray that you would do both of those things now. For Jesus' sake, amen. People of God, I remember uh, as a young boy listening in on a conversation that my mother was having after church with another lady from our congregation. And in this conversation, the topic of giving came up, specifically giving money to the church, as we just did when the offering plates went by. Now, why this has stuck with me all of these years, I have no idea. Sometimes I wonder if it wasn't just for this very moment that I might use it in a sermon. But I remember this other lady telling my mom that her husband had a very hard time writing a check to church, and putting it in the offering plate on Sunday morning. For this lady's husband, giving money to the local church for the work of Christ's kingdom was a very, very hard thing to do. And although he did it, he did it reluctantly. I'm guessing some of us here this morning, maybe even most of us, know the feeling, or have known the feeling. But this, this isn't how it should be in the Christian's life. Look at, look at verse 7 in our text. This is kind of the, the key verse. Paul says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Now, just stop there. Last week, we looked at, a, at how to decide in our hearts what to give. We are to give in light of the Macedonians who gave out of their poverty and who gave sacrificially and who gave eagerly and who gave in such a way so as to leave little doubt that the Lord was first in their life. And we're to give in light of the Lord Jesus Christ who, although he was rich, became poor for our sakes so that we through his poverty might become rich. And we're to give in light of what we have, asking not how much do I have to give, but how much can I give? in light of the one who gave so much for me. Okay, it's in light of these realities that Christians are to decide in their hearts what they're to give. The New Testament does not give us amounts or percentages. Instead, it gives us principles, and it leaves it up to us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That happens often in the New Testament. And I hope, so far as it concerns this matter of giving, right, each of us has taken time Uh, in this past week, or will take time in the days ahead to decide in our hearts what and how we're going to give. 
So Paul says each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, but then he adds to it in verse 7, doesn't he? He says, he says that we're to give, but we're not to give reluctantly or under compulsion. That word reluctantly could be translated as grief or sorrow. I think this is kind of funny. The point is, it shouldn't make us sad to give our money in service to the Lord. Some of us almost cry, maybe, <laughs> when we put our money into the offering plate. Maybe some of us don't give because the thought of giving makes us want to cry. I don't know. Paul says, that's not okay, okay? That's not how it's supposed to work. This shouldn't make you weep. You might have buyer's remorse after you buy that new car. You should not have giver's remorse after you put that money into the offering plate. The second phrase, under compulsion, could also be translated under pressure. Uh, Some of us give because we feel pressure to give. We want to look good in the eyes of others, maybe. We don't want the deacons. I feel that sometimes as a pastor. I'll be preaching maybe at, uh, uh, well, I guess I'm, I might not be preaching, but sometimes we combine with a neighboring church and, and the offering plate will go by and you're like, I'm the pastor. I need to give. I feel a lot of pressure to do that. Uh, Paul says that's not how we're to do it either. We're not to, not to, not to feel pressure to give. Uh, what's the alternative then? Well, Paul says at the end of verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul says, decide for yourself what you're going to give, and then give it not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but cheerfully. And the Greek word translated cheerfully, it's it's the word hilaros, and it's the word from which we get our English word hilarious, actually. So, So God wants his people to find giving somewhat hilarious. And when I see that there, I couldn't help but think of Ebenezer Scrooge, at the end of the Christmas Carol, at least the Disney version, the cartoon version, when it's like Donald Duck or whatever it is. But anyways, you know, he's the, he's the greedy old bugger at the beginning of the movie. You all know the story. And uh, then he goes on this journey with the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. And things are put in perspective for him. And he experiences a change of heart. And he wakes up on Christmas morning, and he cannot give his money away fast enough right? And he's just like, he's like throwing his money to anybody in need. He's like giggling. He's like drunk on giving. It's, it's hilarious to him. And that's really the relationship that Christians are to have with their money and with the practice of giving. We're to find it somewhat hilarious. God loves a cheerful giver. Now the question might arise, what if I'm not a cheerful giver? Does that mean I shouldn't give? Does that mean I'm off the hook? Because that would be sweet. The answer is no. If we only served God when we felt like it, we wouldn't serve God often. That's where the deny yourself and take up your cross part comes in. But, But what it means, if you don't feel cheer, is that you need God to change your heart and to give you the same grace that he gave to the Macedonians long ago. That's what you need. Now, one of the primary ways God changes our hearts is through His Word. That's where the rest of 2 Corinthians 9 comes in. Because in the rest of 2 Corinthians 9, God, through the inspired writing of the Apostle Paul, gives Christians eight, eight, you're like, we're going to be here all day, eight? Yeah, you're right, you are going to be here all day, so get comfortable, just kidding. Eight reasons, eight reasons to not only give their money to the work of His kingdom, but to give cheerfully, all right? Eight reasons for Christians to give cheerfully. Reason number one, Christians can give cheerfully knowing that through their giving, God stirs others to do the same. 
Christians can give cheerfully knowing that through their giving, God stirs others to do the same. Verses 1 and 2, there's no need for me to write you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. So in the previous chapter, what we looked at last week, Paul told the Corinthians what was happening in Macedonia and about how the believers there were giving generously to the needs of the church in Jerusalem. And now Paul says to these same Corinthians, you know what got those Macedonians going? You know what got those Macedonians fired up? You know what stirred them to action? It was when I told them about your own enthusiasm in this regard. It was your enthusiasm to give, your desire and eagerness to give that got them going, right? You promised a monetary gift for the believers in Jerusalem, and they said, we want part of that. We want part of that. We don't don't want them to do that on their own. We want to be a part of this service to the saints. So God, he uses the generosity of Christians to stir up and to provoke other Christians to do the same. Ligon Duncan was the pastor of First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. And he tells a story about how in 2005, after, after a hurricane ravaged the Gulf Coast and southern Mississippi and southern Alabama, his church was taking offerings regularly for the relief effort and to help those who'd been affected by the hurricane. And he says, one day a check came in the mail to First Presbyterian Church from Zambia. And the check was made out for $30. Now, this, this uh, uh, church that sent this check was a church that First Presbyterian Church had partnered with. This was a church that First Presbyterian Church had supported, had sent missionaries to, had given a boatload of money to over the years. But now this church, this church wanted to be a part of the relief effort in southern Mississippi. And so, so these Zambian Christians, they, they collected $30 which was a huge amount for them. They collected $30. They sent it to First Presbyterian Church for the needs of those who'd been affected by the hurricane. Now, First Pres is very wealthy, very affluent. To many who worship there this morning even, $30 is chump change. But Ligon Duncan said that that $30 from those Christians in Zambia had a remarkable impact on himself as well as on many others in his congregation. And that $30 caused them to ask if this is what our brothers and sisters in Zambia are willing to give. What are we willing to give who have so much more? Christians can give cheerfully knowing that through their giving, God stirs others to do the same. Reason number two, Christians can give cheerfully knowing that God blesses the generous. Look at verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Here Paul points us to a law of nature, a law that our farmers especially know all about. You reap what you sow. And the more seed you sow in the spring, the greater your harvest will be in the fall. Of course, Paul here, he, he applies this law of nature to Christian giving, and his point is clear. He who sows liberally, he who gives generously, will reap a generous harvest. 
That is, he or she will be blessed. God blesses the generous. The book of Proverbs makes this point well. Proverbs eleven twenty four. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. Proverbs eleven twenty five. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Proverbs nineteen seventeen. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord will reward him for what he's done. God blesses the generous. And isn't God so kind? I mean, God, we owe God our, our allegiance, right? He, he created us, right? He could just say, give generously because I told you to give generously. But here, but here he, says, he says, no, give cheerfully because it's actually in your best interest. Give cheerfully because you know what? It's actually going to turn out very well for you. Give cheerfully because your gift will not be wasted. No, it'll come back to you in the measure it was sown and even more in some occasions. Now, this truth right here that God blesses the generous is a truth that gets abused today by the prosperity gospel preachers. Joel Osteen, Kenneth Copeland, if you listen to either one of them, stop it, please stop. I can give you better people to listen to. All right? And one of the fundamental ways they abuse this truth is by thinking much too earthly and much too materialistically about God's blessings. That is, they, they promise that if you give your money, then you will experience health and wealth and happiness in this world. That is the harvest you will receive. Now, the Bible makes no such promise. Many who give generously to the work of God's kingdom will not become wealthy nor will they experience a life free from trial and difficulty as those prosperity gospel preachers promise. In fact, the truth is, no matter what you give, no matter what you give, the Christian life will continue to be filled with suffering for you on this side of glory. Okay, it will. That's what the Bible says. Now, that being said, just because this gets abused by some doesn't, doesn't mean we should throw the baby out with the bathwater. Listen to what John Calvin said about this. John Calvin, hardly a prosperity gospel preacher. The harvest should be explained as referring to the spiritual recompense of eternal life. So there certainly is a spiritual benefit and a spiritual part to this harvest. You're storing up treasures in heaven. Absolutely. For sure. The harvest should be explained as referring to the spiritual recompense of eternal life as well as to the earthly blessings which God confers upon the beneficent. So according to Calvin, it's both. It's both physical and, and spiritual, and I think, I think that's right. Because although the generous absolutely praise the Lord, do store up for themselves treasure in heaven, which they will realize fully in glory and receive fully in glory, the fact of the matter is the generous also quite often do find that God blesses them in this life. I'd certainly attest to that. Others of you would as well because you've spoken to me about it. Now, this doesn't mean I'm wealthy by any means at all. It doesn't mean I, I still have to watch what I spend and keep a budget. But, but the more I give, the more I honestly seem to find myself blessed, both spiritually and materially. Now, maybe... 
Maybe it's because God has at the same time enabled me to be content with less. I don't doubt that. And you might look at what I have and think, you have nothing. I don't want what you have. You live in a church-owned house. You have nothing. But whatever the case may be, the more I give, and I certainly try to increase my giving yearly. I mean, if I'm going to call you to do that, I better walk the talk, right? The more I give, the more I turn around and seem to have. Where does all this keep coming from? It's crazy. The Lord blesses the generous. Now, if you treat God like a big genie in the sky to give you what you want, it's probably not going to work out well for you. That's not how it works. Right? It's not a big slot machine, big cosmic, make me rich, right? And we're going to get more of that later. But the Lord blesses the generous. That's the principle. In Malachi 3, the prophet is accusing the Israelites of robbing God. Because they withheld from him their tithe. And this is what the Lord says to the prophet in verse 10. Malachi 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgate of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I love that. The Lord says, the Lord says you don't believe I bless the generous? Try me. Test me. I dare you to find out for yourself what I will do. Christians can give cheerfully knowing that God blesses the generous. Reason number three, Christians can give cheerfully knowing who their God is. Look at verse eight. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in all good works. Let me ask you, what is it that keeps some of us from being a cheerful giver? Well, often it is fear, isn't it? It's fear that in giving away our money, we might in turn run out of money. It's fear that in giving our money, we might experience for ourselves lack. I remember having this fear in seminary. Aaron was working, I wasn't. Money was tight. I'd write a check to church on Sunday morning, and, and, and again, it wasn't near what I can write today, working full-time, and, and generosity is relative to us. We talked about that again last week. You can go back to that, but I'd write a check to church on Sunday morning, and as I wrote that check, my heart would be gripped by fear. What if we run out? What if, what, if, what if we don't have enough? Is it wise for me to give this money to church when I have you know, a wife to support and a, and a daughter who, who needs diapers and needs to be fed? Sorry, Adri, you're older now. I should, probably should have thought of that. But. The fact of the matter is, though, these, feel, these fears are alleviated when we remember who our God is because who is our God? He is the God who is able, Paul says to make all grace abound in the lives of His people. That is, He is the God who is able to give you everything you need so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you can abound in all good works. The point is, God not only loves a cheerful giver, but God is able to make sure that you have the resources to be a cheerful giver. It's foolish to think that you're going to give to God and God is going to completely abandon you and forsake you. Paul goes on in verse 9 to illustrate this truth with a quote from Psalm 112. Verse 9, he scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. The picture here is of, of a godly man just from the world's perspective, just sort of recklessly giving his money away to the poor and to those in need. He scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. 
But yet, yet even as he does, he has, he, he has enough to do this all his days. His righteousness in giving to the poor, it endures forever. He, he scatters abroad his gifts to the poor, but he doesn't run out. A man by the name of R.G. Letourneau invented earth-moving machines. He made a significant fortune in his life, and he tried as hard as he could <laughs> to give it all away. What he found in his life was that the money kept coming in faster than he could give it away. In fact, this is what he said, I shovel it out, and God keeps shoveling it back. And I have no doubt that God has a way bigger shovel. That's what Paul's saying in verses 8 and 9. I dare you to try to outgive the one who is able to make all grace abound to you. I dare you to try to outgive the one who is able to make sure that all your needs are met so that you can abound in every good work. He wants you to give cheerfully. So when you give cheerfully, it's foolish to think he's just going to abandon you. Reason number four, Christians can give cheerfully knowing that it's the reason God blesses them. There's so much good stuff here. Hang with me. Hang with me. I know it's hot, but hang with me. Verses 10 and 11a, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Key verse, verse 11, You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Have you ever wondered why God has given you so much? Have you ever wondered why God has prospered your business or your investments or your family? I hope some of you have wondered that. I think that's a posture of gratitude. But we just read the answer right here. He's done it so that you can be generous on every occasion. Randy Elkhorn rightly says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Say that again. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of, of giving. Isn't that radically countercultural? But that, that, that's exactly what Paul says here. And here's another place where that prosperity gospel misses the mark. The prosperity gospel says, you'll be made rich in every way, and then it basically just stops there. <laughs> Sees wealth as a sign of God's favor and of God's blessing, which it isn't. For many, wealth will be their downfall in the end. But the Bible says, no, this is why you're, you're made rich. This is why God prospers you, so that you can be generous on every occasion. Okay, beloved, Christians can give cheerfully knowing it's the very reason God has given them all that he has. Our brother Todd right here works for UPS. If he would take a UPS package home one day and enjoy it with his family, we'd probably say, Todd, you're not being a very good UPS driver. Well, when God gives us a bunch and we live in excess, gaudy excess, we're doing the same thing Todd would be doing if he took a package home from UPS. We're taking what God has given us and we're doing that which God has not intended for us to do with it. Using it upon ourselves. And God says, no, the reason I've given you so much so that you can be generous on every occasion. Now, God is good. We talked about this last week. He doesn't want us to live in poverty. It's not wrong to meet your needs. It's not wrong to enjoy the things of this world. But there does come a point when we live in so much excess, I think, that we cross the line. And it takes wisdom to figure out when that is. Reason number five, Christians can give cheerfully, knowing that it results in thanksgiving to God. Verses 11b and 12, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Paul's asking the believers to take an offering, to asking the Corinthians to take an offering. 
for the needy believers in Jerusalem. In these verses, he's saying, through your generosity, those needy believers in Jerusalem, they'll see the very hand of God taking care of them, and they will thank God for it. Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God on the part of those in Jerusalem. And this happens, doesn't it? Your generosity, to me and my family in the six years we've been here, has resulted in many thanksgivings to God on our part. Your generosity to others in our community has resulted in many thanksgivings to God on their part. The generosity of others to you has resulted in thanksgiving to God on your part. Generosity results in thanksgiving to God. And one commentator sums up well the significance when he says, The glory of God is the goal of all Christian endeavor. And never is God more glorified than when His people offer Him the sacrifice of thanksgiving. So through your generosity, others give thanks to God. Reason number six, Christians can give cheerfully knowing that it gives credence to their confession. We'll move through this one quickly. Verse 13, because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. said it before, I'll say it again. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Now, a true and saving faith will be accompanied by good works. Right? Show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by what I do, James says. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthians here, what he's saying to us is that Christian giving, it's a means of putting our faith into practice. Giving is part of the obedience that ought to accompany our profession. It proves to others that we are the real deal, that our faith in Christ is legit. And it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, anyone can sit here on Sunday and sing, I surrender all. But the one who surrenders their money to Christ and his kingdom gives credence to that confession, doesn't she? And the one who says, I surrender all while holding tightly to his money, calls that confession into question, doesn't he? Christians can give cheerfully knowing that they are giving credence to their confession. They are showing themselves to be one who truly loves the Lord Jesus Christ and trusts the Lord Jesus Christ and is devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ above all else. Reason number seven, Christians can give cheerfully knowing that through it God builds unity in the body of Christ. Verse 14, Paul here is referring to the believers in Jerusalem. He says, and in their prayers for you, Corinthians, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Remember, the people in Jerusalem are Jews, Jewish Christians. The people in Corinth are Gentiles. In Paul's day and age, they sometimes struggled to get along, you might remember. The Jews were trying to figure out the Gentiles and the place in the new covenant, and, and it was kind of a battle. But Paul says right here that the Corinthians' generosity will cause the hearts of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem to go out to them. So through this gift, God is unifying the church. Through this gift, God is making them one in Christ, even as they already are one in Christ. And how often haven't, haven't we seen similar things? I've seen relationships within the church. I've only served one church, so you can guess for yourself which church it was. I've seen relationships within the church healed through the Christians giving to other Christians in their hour of need. I've seen it. It's beautiful. You've seen it. Ray and Gladdy came here 
This past summer, they brought with them friends from Argentina and the Dominican Republic. Those friends were so grateful to you for the financial support that you gave to Ray and Gladdy over the years. And, and there was just a bond that existed between you and them. You'd never met before, most of you. But there was a bond that existed that goes back to your generous giving to Ray and Gladdy over the years. I've seen it, you've seen it, Paul sees it. Christians can give cheerfully knowing that through their giving, God builds unity in the body of Christ. Finally, reason number eight. Christians can give cheerfully knowing that it's one of the fundamental ways we reflect the heart and character of our God. Look at how Paul ends, not just our text, but really this whole section on Christian giving. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul began this discourse on Christian giving in chapter 8, 1, telling us about what God gave to the Macedonians. He ends this discourse on Christian giving by talking again about what God has given all of us. And that is, of course, his one and only son. For the redemption of sinners. You've got to love Paul. He never lets us get away from the cross. He never lets us get away from the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. It's almost as if he knows that any, any talk on giving is going to nudge us along the path of legalism. And here then he says, whoa, don't go there. Don't, don't go there. Don't fool yourself into thinking that the Christian life is about giving money. Because it most certainly is not. The Christian life is about what God has given you in Christ. And he's given us much in Christ, hasn't he? He's given us forgiveness for all our sins. He's given us a righteousness that is not our own so that God can look on us as if we've never sinned nor been a sinner. Christ has given us a new standing as God's children. Christ has given us eternal life. Christ has given us His Holy Spirit to enliven us and to empower us spiritually. Christ has given us grace upon grace upon grace, blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And when we give then, beloved, we're simply reflecting the heart and character of our God. When we give, we're simply showing the world something of what our God is like. The Apostle Paul says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly beloved children. Okay, Paul, how do we imitate God? Well, here's a fundamental way you imitate God. By giving. By giving. Of course, I'll say what I, I'll say what I said last week. If you're not a believer, giving money to this church or any other Christian organization is the least of your worries. It's the least of your worries. Before you even think of doing that, or before you even think of scoffing at that idea, you need to repent of your sins and trust in Christ for salvation. The good news of the gospel is not that you can do something for God. The good news of the gospel is that you can do nothing for God, but God has done something for you in Christ. And until you confess your sins and believe that, please keep your money. Please, keep your money. The Olympian Eric Liddell once said, when I run, I feel God's favor. The fact of the matter is, people of God, when Christians give, they should also feel God's favor. 
Because God loves a cheerful giver. This morning, God has given us eight reasons to find giving hilarious. May He impress them now upon our hearts for His glory, for our good. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how it challenges us and confronts us. We thank You for the power contained in it to change our sinful hearts. And we thank You for how it keeps pointing us back to the finished work of Jesus Christ for us. Father, help us to be people who are generous. Help us to be people who give even as You gave so much to us. Help us to work out these things with fear and trembling. Help us to find joy and cheer in giving. For Jesus' sake, amen. Please stand for the parting blessing. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and grant you his peace. Amen.